My name is Nate Cole, and I've been going to Rolling Hills for almost eight years. I'm Lindsay Cole. I always knew from a young age that I wanted to adopt. Um, it's just something that was always on my heart and how I saw um, myself forming a family. Um, and Nate wasn't quite there yet, and so I knew I had to wait until um, God was leading him to that too, so that it was something we were doing together. Um, so it was about four years into our marriage, and we started coming to Rolling Hills and joined a small group and who had adoptive families in it. And just through exposure and meeting people, Nate said, you know, we should talk about adopting. Um, and of course I was ready and said, let's do it. I've got the paperwork, let's go. So I think it was a couple years into the, the wait, we got a referral for, um, I think at that time he was a nine month old boy and we got the picture and just fell in, love, fell in love with him right away. Unfortunately, it took a lot longer than we had anticipated. So during that time, it was challenging because we were thinking about all the milestones that we were missing, um, all the moments, the first that he was experiencing that we weren't there for. We had a lot of community and friends around us um, who supported us, but nobody in that particular situation who could specifically relate to us. Um, and just feeling a sense of kind of loneliness in it. Um, that night I stayed up late um, searching on Google for Taiwan adoption blogs and I came across a mom's blog um, and her family was adopting from Taiwan and they were using the same agency out of California so I knew I had to reach out to her and I did and once we connected she told me that two weeks ago they had actually moved to Franklin. At that moment we found out that their son in Taiwan was actually at the same orphanage as our son. So it was October 2016 we were able to fly over there and go to the orphanage and meet him. And we later on have discovered pictures of our sons together and that relationship and friendship has been amazing and can only be orchestrated by God. We don't have to have all the details figured out. Um, we didn't have the finances figured out. We didn't know what the timing was going to look like. He's written the story in a much more beautiful way than we could have ever imagined. Hey, good morning, everybody. I love getting to see and hear that story because you remember Nate and Lindsay when they're in the adoption process. Um, they actually worked in the crawler's room at the Franklin campus of Rolling Hills Community Church where we've been a part of for the last 12 years when our son Simon was that age. And this is what we figured out about each of our kids. Like we had had um, these two girls and it was just so easy and so amazing and so incredible and so on lockdown. We would take them to the nursery on Sunday mornings or take them to the crawler room or the toddler room or the kindergarten room, whatever it is, they were just so excited to be at church. And then we had this little boy who was born with a disease called cystic fibrosis, um, which meant that he was highly susceptible to infection and highly susceptible to all kinds of things. And so at the urging of the doctors at Vanderbilt, which are incredible, we were prompted to keep him out of all of those child care scenarios where he could come in contact with other children and the myriad of germs. I mean, they're just Petri dishes, just walking around, like literally, like just don't play on the play place at McDonald's or the one in the mall. Like it's literally just incubating the germs. And so we knew that early on, we couldn't put Simon in those scenarios. And so by the time he was old enough and antibodies developed in his body and he was able to fight off some level of germs in spite of the fact that he had CF, he had never been in those settings. Enter separation anxiety, pulling him like the leech that he was off of Susan on a Sunday morning and transferring him to someone else 
was like a holy terror. Like first time parents, we get it. And that is why so many times we urge all those young parents, do it when your kids are like three, four, five, six months old, not when they're 16 months old and they have a will. I mean, for real, they don't want to do it. And so Nate and Lindsay were in that classroom and it didn't take us very many weeks to figure out, hmm, if we pass him from Susan to Lindsay, it's like terror. Like who is hurting that child is what it sounds like. But if we passed him from me to Nate, he was just happy. Hey, I'll go from one dude to another dude and play all morning. And I remember thinking, Nate, you're, you're going to have this fatherhood thing on lockdown. As soon as that baby boy comes home, the one that you're longing for and that you're waiting for, this little preschool room that you're working in right now with these little crawling boys is, is preparation for what God is doing in your life. Um, I'm so excited about what God is doing in our life as a church. As, as we look back on stories like Nate's and Lindsay's and, and look back even on our own stories, but not just the looking back moment, the, the looking ahead moment. I little confession. I feel like I'm going to fall in this big hole orchestra pit. Like there are no instruments. Like I can see down in there. I know how far it is. Don't be afraid. Like it would not, it would listen. It wouldn't, it wouldn't like a broken leg. That's probably all I would endure. So don't, don't you're, don't don't deep breath this morning. We're going to be okay. I don't I got to tell you. I used to watch a television show um like week to week to week. This is like before DVR in our lives where we could record things and watch it later. Lost was on television. It was an ABC show, ABC show that came out that we thought was just about a plane crash. We did not know that it was about the paranormal. It was so bizarre. And the thing that I loved initially about Lost week to week is that every week, half of the episode was current events, this plane crash, and all of these people that are stranded on a desert island with all of these weird occurrences happening. Don't go back and watch it. It's six years of your life. You will never get back. But I did. Okay, so I'm watching this show, and half of the episode is all of these current day experiences, like like what's going on on the island and who's where and how are they going to eat and where are they going to stay and who's going to be in charge and just maddening experiences as a result of this plane crash. But the other half of each episode was a series of flashbacks where you learned the backstories of all of the key characters enter season three where they continue to do these flashback stories, these moments, these bits and pieces, these testimonials from these characters' lives, and and you're coming to grips. Oh, I know the reason why they are who they are on the island because this is what was happening in their life three, five, seven, twelve, however many years ago in life. And at the end of season three, they did something bizarre. It was a two-hour finale, and I invested all of the two hours that they required to watch the details of this episode. And systematically, we watched scene after scene after scene after scene thinking oh this is another piece to the backstory of the character jack this is another piece to where he was before he got to the island and in the closing scene of that episode something happened to let you know that what you were watching that entire two-hour period was not in fact a flashback from his life it was a flash forward to what was going to happen in the future And all the Lost fans everywhere went crazy. You could have heard the collective sigh of, "Ah, I can't believe this just happened. Now we have to wait all summer for more because something different had occurred. It it wasn't the past. It wasn't just the present. It was the future that we were now learning about. 
We're in this story this summer on the life of David in Scripture, this king who was uh, called out and anointed and set apart to be king and then tried to be murdered by the actual current king. And then he goes up and he's killing this giant, like all these incredible stories about David. And, and what I'm reminded about constantly when I read stories like this, and it's not just about the past, where David was long ago. And it's not just about the present, where David was currently in the situation, which incidentally, last week we finished up chapter 20, we highlighted and celebrated the friendship that he had with the king's son, Jonathan. But between chapters 21 and chapter 23, David is building an army and Saul is continually trying to kill him. It's one episode or another of this guy chasing him down and hunting him and trying to take his life so that he can't be the incoming king. So this is where we are in the story. This is the current day events, but we're not just living in the past. He killed a lion. He killed a bear. He tended his father's sheep. He was anointed as king. He was celebrated as the guy who was going to be the next leader of all Israel. He killed a giant. We're not just living in the past. We're not just celebrating the moment, but we're looking ahead to the future of what God is going to do. And sometimes I think that we get caught up in one or the other. We get so focused on what happened in the past, so focused on what happened in all of our yesterdays, so focused on what happened in our stories, and those are important because they help form and shape the DNA of who we are. And sometimes we get so focused on the present and so myopic on what's happening right now in this circumstance or that circumstance or this relationship or that relationship, and we forget about all the wonderful miracles that God has done in the past. And if we don't remember the miracles that God has done in the past, we will not have enough faith to see sustain where we are in the present, but we're also looking ahead to where God is moving us and where God is calling us, what he desires, not just from us, but what he desires for us. God's doing something in this story. And so we land in today, if you want to open up your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 24, we're going to cover a lot this morning in terms of scripture and suffice it to say i'm going to have to summarize some of these experiences for us today and we don't have time to go through chapter by chapter by chapter by chapter but we've got somewhere that we need to get next week when david finally becomes the king over israel in chapter 24 we we see this experience we we see this moment in david's life when he now has an opportunity Something has presented itself to him. And so if you want to turn your Bibles and, and kind of get ready there, the, the Lord is, is, is doing something in his life. And part of what you're invited to do this morning and the notes that you've been given, the things that you like to jot down is to kind of, hey, this is where we've been in the David story. But maybe also this is where we've been in my story. This is, this is the circumstances that I've been brought through. This is the experiences in life that I've had. This is the, the moments that I've gone through. And then this is also where I am now. Because it's not just where you've been, but where are you? It says in, in chapter 24, and, and I'll just read this. You guys can follow along if you have scripture in front of you. But this is just part of the story of where David is. It says, after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. And I'm looking at this geography and I'm knowing that like, at this point, David does not have this large of an army, but he's been amassing these ragtag group of soldiers who are willing to go with him against the forces of Saul and willing to protect him from the attacks of Saul and also willing to help him go to battle against the Philistines that he's taken out in these moments. 
moments. And it says that he came to the sheep pens along the way and a cave was there. And Saul went in to, you're reading it right, relieve himself. So um, what we're learning from this moment in this particular passage of scripture is that the people in the Bible were real and they went to the potty. Okay, so Saul goes in to relieve himself. David and his men serendipitously were far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of. When he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off the corner of Saul's robe. I cannot imagine what that must have been like. He certainly didn't feel it as the story will one day reveal to us. But can you imagine being in that private of a moment? And here comes creepy Joe ready to cut off the corner of your garment. Says afterward says David was conscience stricken. So he has this moment of clarity and he feels that the Holy Spirit conscience in his life for having cut off a corner of his, that Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed. Wait a minute, wasn't, wasn't David anointed? Well, before, before David was anointed, Saul was anointed. Saul was anointed and set apart and chosen to be the king over Israel. And the people were given a warning when Saul became the king over Israel that the king would eventually come and do bad things. And he did because Saul continued to systematically over and over and over again take matters into his own hands and go the direction that he wanted to go as opposed to the direction that the Lord wanted him to go. And in chapter 16, verse 1, we learn these. He's saying to Samuel, God of this universe, how long are you going to mourn for Saul? Yep, he was the anointed. But since I have rejected him as king over Israel... Fill your horn and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen instead one of his sons to be king. And so, yes, at one point in time, God had anointed Saul to be king over Israel. And Israel is learning a powerful lesson under his kingship. Sometimes what to do and sometimes what not to do in order to honor the Lord. Because Saul continues to take matters into his own hands and go his own direction. And so you would think to yourself, oh... We can solve the problem. We can eliminate about eight chapters from the Bible and our daily reading plan and just go on to the next part of 2 Samuel when David is king. If he would just take the guy out, here is his chance. And at the urging of his men, he realizes this is the moment I can take him out and then step into the place that God wants me to be as king over Israel. He's promised that I would do it, but he, he feels bad in this moment. The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. Saul left the cave and went his way. Well, then David approached Saul. He goes to him and he says, oh yeah, by the way, let me have your attention, please. This is what happened. My Lord, the King, verse 8. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground in reverence to the king. He said to Saul, why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? He's about to prove something to him. This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, sign of respect. Look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. He's saying, I had the opportunity. I could have done it. But I didn't. 
Verse 14, he says, against whom the king of Israel has come out. Who are you pursuing? A dead dog, a flea? He says, may the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. And it's in your notes this morning. There's so many different points of reference that we can take from this passage of scripture to understand not only David's past, but David's presence and the future that God was taking him to. But even, even to a degree, our past and, and contemplate where we are in our present day story and where God might be taking us in the future. You see, God, this great God of this universe, he did have a purpose purpose for David's life and he extended to him a promise of a preferred future like that's what we all want from God we want to know that the great God of this universe is looking at us that he created us for purpose and for meaning and for a life that is better than anything that we can ask for or imagine we want to know that somewhere out there there's a preferred future for us Susan and I when we got married we exchanged wedding rings that's not abnormal but maybe what's different from your wedding ring and our wedding ring is that the original ones this is one of those groove ones that like lets me sweat and doesn't turn all weird and it's like flexible they're super trendy right now but I, I do have a a gold one that I wear and inside it is inscribed Jeremiah 29 11 and taken out of context taken in context that's a verse about what God's doing in the life of exiled people to say that in the middle of your most difficult circumstance I got a plan for you in the middle of your harm and in the middle of your pain in the middle of your separation I've got a plan for you not to harm you but to prosper you to give you hope and a future and we do desire that for our marriage that in the middle of the storms that we walk through we do desire that the great God of this universe we we want the confirmation and we want the affirmation to know that there's a plan for us and that plan is a good plan that plan is a preferred future plan and that doesn't necessarily mean winning the lottery dream home and going on HGTV although I did register for that one this year that they have in Texas where it was like smart and your home knows everything and like you literally walk in and it automatically knows like what temperature you want it to be and like it's super super fancy and they also give you a Mercedes I mean I went online and I typed my email address and I said hey maybe we'll win this home I'm not naive enough to believe that that's the preferred future that scripture is talking about but God has a plan for his glory and his time and his purpose that, that might involve us. And so I know that there's a God that has a purpose for every single one of our lives. And that life is for his preferred future, that he might have his future glory. But whatever it is that God has planned in our lives, it is never, ever, ever permission for us to violate the law of God. David said, forbid that I should go and harm the Lord's anointed because you see that would have been murder that would have been an assassination attempt on the king's life punishable by death and David wasn't going to try to accomplish the will of God by violating the law of God no cut corners for this guy God had promised him a kingdom but murder was not the price he was going to pay to achieve it and I'm reminded so many times in my own life that the temptation has often been to cut corners to sidestep limits to, to tiptoe ever so slightly outside of the bounds because somehow the the means justified the ends 
in every single one of our lives that's in your notes this morning, whether we're following someone or leading someone's, our human condition, our, our human nature, the sin that crouches at our door begs us, begs us and pleads with us to always take matters into our own hands. It is what the enemy prompts you to do. It is what he desires for you to step outside the path that God has for you and go your own way, even taunting you and saying, this is the way to accomplish all the good in life that God wants you to do. This is what's best for everybody. You're actually doing the world a favor by disobeying God because you're going to get there a little bit faster. Look at the help that you're going to be able to give. Look at the ministry that you're going to be able to provide. Look at how everyone's future is going to be better if you would just take a bite. Step up. It's okay. It's all the gray areas that we have in life. And we have made millions off the gray. It's a very popular color. A lot of people's walls are painted that. Like we use agreeable gray in our household. It goes with everything. There's a lot of gray areas in life. And we think for ourselves, listen, we're, we're, we're going God's direction. We're going to get to that place. Let's just go this route because it's a little bit easier. The shortest distance between two points is a very straight line. And so let's just go when God often wants us to take us around on a journey that will prove to us over and over again how much we need to depend on him and him alone. It's a temptation in life. It's part of the human condition to do things your way. All of our kids at different points in their early childhood development Lindsay Cole's an expert on that. She's been an administrator at a preschool. She's got degrees in it. She knows early childhood development. Every single one of our children, every single one of your children, every single one of you, me included, we all went through a phase of, I do it myself. That independence. And as a parent, it's so frustrating because you realize at the restaurant when they want to hold the fork themselves and they're not real good at it, that they're going to make a giant mess. It would be so much easier if they would just let you continue to do it. But that's going to look real weird when they're 14. Like at some point, they've got to be able to do it themselves. And I, I remember each one of our kids digging in and being belligerent and disobedient. I remind them of the sin in their lives early at a young age. Often, it's part of their past. I want them to know you guys were dirty, rotten sinners from the very, very beginning. You defied me and your mother at every single opportunity. But the grace of the Lord abounds and he called you to himself that you might experience salvation in Jesus Christ. But don't be dismayed. Your past life was full of sin, separated from the God who loves you because of it. Like from day one, I do it myself. And we all kind of want that. Studies have shown, Duke University in 2015 did a study that have kind of shown that, that men, we didn't really grow up from the I do it myself moment. It really only escalated. We don't like to ask for help. Don't nod at me, Susan. Like, <laughs> we don't like to ask for help. It's, it's actually part of, of manhood. Uh, a study uh, led by Duke University professor in 2015 indicates that our fears for not asking for help may be founded. Research um, is featured in Forbes magazine. It shows that male leaders who ask for help were considered less competent than the ones who didn't. So our fears are founded. Like they're, they're founded in actual research that says that people who ask for help, men in particular, are often viewed as less competent than people who don't ask for help. So be careful in the workplace who you ask for help because it could come around and bite you, right? 
we like to do things ourselves our way and regardless of whether or not those fears are founded it's one thing when it comes to the battle of the sexes it's another thing when it comes to battles in the workplace but we may at some point we may have to have a sermon on pride and humility i don't know but what we do know is that when we persist in being people who take matters into our own hands and constantly and consistently go our own direction we are overstepping the lord's authority in our lives it's one thing to ask for help from a coworker. It's a whole other issue. You can talk about it with your therapist to ask for help in your marriage. It's a whole another thing when it comes to being willing to ask for help from the Lord. Because regardless of the pride issue that you have with that coworker, that's like, yeah, I don't want to ask for his help because then it's going to look like I don't know my job and I can't do it as well as someone else. And then it's going to cost me some authority that I have in the workplace and I need to have other people's respect. Put that aside. Are you willing to ask for the Lord's help? And in order to understand his help, are you willing to go his direction when he offers it? Because how many of you have asked for the advice of uh, a dear, dear friend and then not taken it? How many of you have received the very good advice from a mentor or a spouse or a trusted friend or coworker and then not taken it? See, that's the human condition. See, we've been given something that's far better than advice. We've been given something that's far better than help. We've been given the keys to um, eternal life and not just eternal life, but life in this earth. And, and yet we often don't take the advice that we've been given. David understood in this moment the issue at hand um, and how he was to be the king that God promised he would be was up to the Lord to accomplish it. Verse 12 says, may the Lord judge between you and me, Saul. May, may he iron all of that out. May the Lord avenge the wrongs that you've done to me. But my hand will not touch you. I often think of the moments in our lives when <coughs> not only do we feel like it's our responsibility to forge our own path and go our own way and accomplish God's promises in our life, but it's also somehow we feel like it's our job to rectify all the wrongs that other people have done. And the part of the Holy Spirit will now be played by Nick Allen. Let me tell you all the wrong things about your life. Let me tell you all the things that you need to get right. Let me actually come and avenge and put some sort of punishment in your path to accomplish the thing that God wants to do in you. Chapter 26 of the book of 1 Samuel is same song, similar verse. This time, instead of being able to take Saul's robe while he was pottying, um, he walked in on Saul and his army camped out, ready to attack, only this time they were sleeping. He takes this guy in there with him to the camp to go and kind of spy out where these folks are, and he gets into the moment, and they have the opportunity right in front of them. And David's associate looks, he's like, hey, let me take his spear, his own spear, and use it against him. I'll take it. It'll only take me once. And in chapter 26, David stops him. It says in verse 7, so David and Abishai went to the army by night and there was Saul lying asleep in the camp with his spear stuck in the ground near his head. Abner and the soldiers were lying around with him. Abishai said to David, today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't strike him twice. And again, David said no. 
We could have saved ourselves tons of chapters in our daily Bible reading if David would have just taken one of these opportunities to end Saul's life and seize the throne that God had already promised to him. But what we have to know is that the reward in David's life, the future that God wanted to take him to, was always worth waiting on God's proper timing in our lives. Whatever future, whatever reward, whatever opportunities God is directing us to, they are always worth waiting on his proper timing in our lives. Chapter 26 ends with this. The Lord rewards everyone for their righteousness and their faithfulness. David says to Saul, the Lord delivered you into my hands today, but I would not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Same song, next chapter. As surely as I valued your life today, so may the Lord value my life and deliver me from all trouble. As surely as I valued your life today, so may the Lord value my life. That sounds a whole lot like do unto others as you would have them do unto you. David wasn't willing to sidestep God's plans or God's law in order to accomplish God's promises. Sometimes it's a really stark contrast. This is in your notes. And sometimes it's just blurred lines. Sometimes it's just an obvious right or wrong, yes or no. And sometimes it feels to us in our finite minds like there's so much gray in between. But regardless of what situation we find ourselves, what it looks like to trust God and go our own direction will always reveal itself in due time. You've got the picture of of David in in 1 Samuel chapter 24 and the picture of David in 1 Samuel chapter 26 consistently trusting in God and in God's timing. Having opportunities to sidestep the Lord's plan but yet being patient and waiting on the Lord in both occurrences. In Saul's life, you've got contrast too. But it's not consistent. Chapter 26, he completely repents And decides he wants to do everything according to the Lord's timeline. But then in chapter 28, he consults a medium. Chapter 28 of 1 Samuel, we've got Saul who at one point is doing the right thing. But then steps right back into old patterns and old habits of going his own direction. You see the prophet Samuel dies. And Saul and all of Israel, they mourned the loss of Samuel. And, and Saul had expelled all the mediums and all the astrologers and all the spiritists and all of the, all of the people that pull out their crystal ball or their magic eight ball. And they asked the spirits what's going to happen in the future. And he had gotten rid of all of those people. But then Saul ends up in a moment. In chapter 28, Saul ends up in this incredible moment in the story where he's asking God, hey, what's next? What do you want me to do? Here's my current situation. It says the Philistines in chapter 28, verse 4, they assembled and they came up near the camp at Shunem while Saul and all Israel were gathered there. When Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid and terror filled his heart. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. And so here's Saul getting impatient, doesn't want to wait on the Lord. And so Saul then said to his attendants, find me a woman who is a medium so that I may go and inquire of her. Call 1-800-PSYCHIC-HOTLINE and let me figure out what's going to happen next. All the people that he had previously expelled from the community in order to honor the great God of this universe, now he's inviting them back in because he's too impatient to wait on God and to understand his will. And I look at my notes and my understanding of this passage of scripture and i'm just looking at a guy who even when he's repentant and wants to turn back to the lord he is still taking matters into 
his own hands. What I have to know in my life and what I have to be able to communicate as a pastor is that faithfulness and obedience where you are right now, that faithfulness and obedience to God and submission to his will where you are right now are reward enough while you wait on whatever God has promised next. Sometimes it's just good to be waiting. Psalm of David, he writes in chapter 27, we heard it before. I'm reminded of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. I don't know what you're waiting on. God, to provide an opportunity or a person or relief or just an answer. But I do know that faithfulness and obedience in the waiting are worth it. And sidestepping whatever the waiting looks like in order to accomplish even God's will too soon will be too much for us to handle. The rest of the story of this book of the Bible goes on to tell us that Saul does die. His son Jonathan, David's best friend, he also loses his life. And even then, like we would think, oh, well, if that king's out, then David can surely... No, it's still years before David is given the throne. And it's still a a long journey ahead before that future that we know is coming actually happens. It wasn't just Israel's story that took a long time to unfold and lots of twists and turns along the way. It was our story, too. Because generations and generations and generations before Saul and David, God had made a promise to a guy named Abraham that he was going to save all nations through his seed. And it wasn't just through Moses or Joshua or any of those leaders. It wasn't just through prophets like Deborah and Gideon and Samuel, but eventually a king who came named David. And at this point in the current day event, he's not even king But in the future, that preferred future, he's going to be king. And one of his own descendants is going to be the once and forever king called Jesus. But that was still 14 more generations away. God's taken us on a journey and it's his perfect timing that is going to give us his perfect blessings. So I kind of invite us all as a part of this story, as, as a part of what it means to look at Saul, as a part of what it means to examine David, to, to take note of that past, where you've been and what God's done, what he's shown you, what lessons you've learned along the way, to kind of pay attention to the present, the people that God's putting right in front of you, the opportunities that are, are just so clear, that the serendipitous moments that can only be the hand of God guiding and directing your life to where you are, But also know that there's a future, that that there's a what's next. To not get so stuck in the past or so crippled by the present that you don't look ahead to God having a plan. And knowing whatever that is and knowing whatever steps he wants you to take and, and whatever opportunities he wants you to seize. Don't go your own way too early. It's it's worth the journey that God will take you on to get wherever that is. I don't have any desire or designs on being famous one day. Um, 
But I, but I, 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 do, I do, I think like, well, what if one of my kids is? Wouldn't that be weird? Like, wouldn't that be bizarre? Maybe they'll buy me a house or something. I don't know. Like, maybe they'll just take care of like, like student loans. Like, oh man, wouldn't that be just incredible if all of a sudden, like, it's, it's one of those things where like, you know, you know, you see these parents, you see these like NFL stars, and it's on TV because they go and they buy their parents a house or whatever. You see, and then I'm, I'm, I'm less worried about that than I am about the future. Like, what if one of my kids one day gets a memoir, right? Like one of those books that's just kind of written about their life. I'm thinking, who? What kind of chapter will be written about me? How we are in, in this current day moment could drastically affect not only where we go in the future, but how we're remembered in the future. And I just want to be remembered as somebody who, who, who waited on and who followed so closely whatever path God has for me that he gets to decide and design whatever the next steps are. And I hope that at some point... I, I will not ever compromise right living, in, 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 even in order to find a right outcome. That I'll just trust that God not only has a plan, but that he has a path to take us to it. And I think your lives are the same. God has a plan, but he also has a path. And, and you won't accomplish God's plan for your life unless you follow God's path for your life. And so we ask and we inquire and we say, God, what is it? And then we wait on the answer. And while we wait on that answer, we live according to the answer that he's already given us in Jesus. We want to be a faith-filled person that way. We want to be a faith-filled body that way. As we together seek whatever God's next is for not only us individually, but also us as a church family. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful for the opportunities that we have to be in this place together. And what it means for us in submission is to, To say to you individually and collectively that we trust you. That living our lives according to your word it is literally just us saying that we, we trust you. With whatever your plans are, whatever your desired outcome is, wh whatever your path is for taking us there. All of us have flashbacks, God. These pictures of what our life once was. And if we are forgiven in Christ and call ourselves a follower of Jesus, a Christian, then, then we know the road that we were on. And we're so grateful for the place that you have put us today in Christ, confident, secure, knowing our identity, knowing our hope, knowing what the eternal future is. It's the immediate future, God, that sometimes trips us up. There are moments when we don't need to dwell in the flashback. We need to look at the flash forward and say, okay, this is the place that God is taking us, but what is the way that he's taking us there? We want to follow you in the details, God, and we want to be people, um, men and women after your own heart who are willing to submit to your plan and also your path. To be a people who boldly and publicly declare that we're not going to violate your law in order to accomplish your will even. Even if the results seem good to us, we're going to trust in you and you alone. Lord, for my friends out there who are in the middle of a crossroads and trying to figure out 
just what it is you want them to do, who you want them to be, where you want them to go, whatever is next in life. My prayer is that you would provide them a moment of clarity, but then also with the will and the desire to be obedient in it. For those who are suffering um, and struggling, I, I pray your hand of comfort um, and a peace that only you can give. And thank you for Jesus, um, who also had his own path to go and surrendered every part of his will to yours along the way. Father, may we do the same. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. I don't know where you are today uh, with regard to all that. I don't, I don't know what current day, present moment images any of this has conjured to your mind to think, oh, this is where I'm at. This is the battle that I'm facing. This is the lines that have been drawn. This is where I know God is taking me, but I just don't know how to get there. I invite you just to continue in a time of reflection. The band's here, and they're going to kind of sing and lead over us as an opportunity for us to respond to whatever it is that God might be speaking to us. If you've completed one of those connection cards today as a first-time guest, and I just invite you to maybe flip it over and look at the prayer request side and take an opportunity to jot down the ways that we might pray for you. If there's something that God is doing in your life as a next step where you know that trusting Christ for salvation or you know that being baptized as a believer in Jesus or you know that uniting with this local body as a partner in our church is, is what God might be saying to you next, check that off on your card. And in a few moments when we continue our worship time and offering baskets are passed, you, you drop that in and we'll follow up with you this week to say, Whatever it is that God is doing in your life, we want to be a part of the obedient journey that you take in getting there.